Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Let's Get Writing is available each week on my Facebook page, Katherine Taylor Media, and the shows are permanently hosted on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV. And of course, they're also available as podcasts on Podbean. And if you like your, uh, I guess, your enjoyment on the go, that's the perfect solution for you. I certainly love your feedback and appreciate your comments and ideas, so please continue to share them. My guest today on Let's Get Writing is originally from Gilmore, Ontario. He received a Master of Arts in Creative Writing from the University of Toronto and a doctorate in Atlantic Canadian Literature from Memorial University right here in Newfoundland. And he is currently teaching creative writing at a high school in Iowa. Of course, that's a very straightforward path. Ontario, Newfoundland, Iowa, lots of fun. And we're going to dig into that today. He is the author of the story collection, This Ramshackle Tabernacle, and the novel, A Blessed Snarl, and has just published his most recent book, When the Dead Are Raised, with Slant Books in Eugene, Oregon. I want you to meet my guest. I'm going to bring him to the screen, and I would love to do that, but he's disappeared. (laughs) Somewhere he's gone. We may have to wait for him to come back, and he seems to be back. Wonderful. (laughs) Samuel, we're going to show you in the screen. Hi, Sam Martin. Where did you go? (laughs) I I don't know. I I was watching the show, and all of a sudden... uh... It kind of went dark over here, so I'm glad to be back. You are back, and I'm glad to have you back. And um, it's a real pleasure to to be speaking with you. And I'm I I when I first was introduced to you, what caught my attention so much, other than the fact that you are a writer, is the fact that you have this affiliation with Newfoundland. In fact, you describe yourself as a come from away. And, uh, you know, and you did, you came from Ontario and moved here and it's quite often the other direction that people go to Ontario, whatever happened to you. <laughs> Tell us the story of how you ended up in Newfoundland. Well, I, uh, I'd done a, um, a master's in creative writing at the University of Toronto. I got a chance to work with David Adams Richards. Uh, so I was reading uh, East Coast literature and, um, and, and was finding that on my bookshelf, um, although it, it started out as like Atlantic Canada very broadly, it quickly became like a, a shelf of uh, Newfoundland literature. And so um, being somebody who really loved school, loved being in the classroom, uh, thought, well, why not spend four more years in school um, and kind of delay um, the, the quote unquote real world? And, uh, and so I was looking for a, um, a good doctorate program, but a, one where I could study the, the literature that I was 
um, enamored of uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at a few places, few scholars that specialized in it, and, and Memorial just seemed like kind of the um, one, one obvious school to, uh, to put in the mix. And um, when I was talking with uh, Deneen Farquharson, um, who was heading up the graduate program at that time, uh, she was saying, who are you interested in writing? I started to list Michael Crummy, Lisa Moore, Michael Winter, Kenneth J. Harvey. And, um, and so I said, do you think I could study those people if I came and worked in your program? She said, well, we can probably set you up with meeting those people. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I, I think that's, that's it. That's, that's the program. And, um, so, uh, my wife, Samantha and I, we packed up our dog loaded our stuff on a, a, a truck and drove out here, um, drove into St. John's uh, in the fogs, which I thought was a great place, a uh, great way to meet the city. There was no uh, no romancing it. It was, this is the weather here. Right. And um, we squatted in our apartment for two weeks or three weeks and then found out that the moving truck hauling our um, earthly goods caught fire, never left Ontario. <laughs> and so people in the graduate program kind of made it possible for us to live in Newfoundland. They kind of helped us furnish our apartment. Um, the Byrne brothers came out of retirement as a folk duo and did a special concert for us. And we just felt so moved and embraced by the, the community. Um, there was a few, a, a, probably several weeks where we were thinking we should just turn tail and, and run like this is this turned out to be a bad adventure but we were so uh embraced by the the community both at the university and downtown and the the writing community um we thought well no actually this is where we want to be for as long as we can uh and so we we kind of settled down and, and said st john's is going to be home uh until the next adventure comes or in, until we have to leave that's a pretty nice story. I would, I would think when when you found out that all your things were burned, before, never did leave Ontario, you'd be like, hmm, this is an ominous sign. Yes. <laughs> obviously, the community embraced you and welcomed you, and that has, I think, that affection you have have for Newfoundland runs quite deep. Mm -hmm. uh, your books are set in Newfoundland. Are they not all set in Newfoundland? Um, the first one was about, because I wrote that one at, at the University of Toronto, and that was kind of trying to find a way to um, to write about my home community um, as somebody who'd chosen to, to move away. Um, and it was kind of um, a reckoning with um, the religious tradition that I'd, I'd grown up with and a lot of the things that I'd, um, questions I wanted to ask. Uh, and so I tried to ask those in in stories they wound up being quite dark stories uh those got picked up by breakwater a newfoundland publisher and they said they would just wanted to publish the collection and then the second book um that i uh gave to them that they published was was set in newfoundland at the time um so yeah first book ontario second book uh was set in newfoundland and then this third one um i started writing before we left newfoundland um, and it's it's been a an eight almost nine year process of working through multiple drafts to um, try to make sure I was staying true to to the place, 
but also keeping up on how the place was changing um, when I wasn't there. Like what changes uh, has, has Newfoundland gone through in the last, uh, last decade? Uh, so that's, I've been trying to keep that in mind and to try to keep the feel of the story um, very, very contemporary, very in the moment. Right. And, and I mean, Newfoundland is, is, is a place that is in constant change, yet not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tricky one because there are so many traditions and, and our roots run deep in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. But yet, of course, life intervenes with that. So, yeah, that's interesting. So you're doing it all the way from Iowa and there you are teaching and um, you are inspiring future writers. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I've, I, I've taught uh, creative writing at the undergraduate level for a while now, um, for, for about eight years. And I found that interesting because all of the creative writing classes that, that I had been in, I was surrounded by people that were intent on becoming writers. Um, and then for the first time moving here, I had people taking creative writing kind of recreationally, like oh, I'm kind of interested, but I'm not, I don't know if I want to be a writer. Uh, and so I kind of um, had to adjust the way that I thought about a creative writing class. Um, so the one I was going to be teaching would be different than the, any of the ones I'd taken, because I wanted the students to come to some realization that they had a story to tell that they could find the joy in, in creative writing, um, in trying to tell a story. And it was a bit of a, a trick for me to think about the students in front of me were, they were there for a credit, but weren't necessarily there to become writers. And how could I get them interested in something they weren't necessarily um, innately interested in? Um, and how could I make them feel like they were capable of doing something that they hadn't entertained the possibility that this is something they could do. So that eight years at that level was a good helpful transition because the, the next step to teaching in high school just takes that that much further. Um, a lot of my students have, have no idea what they want to do, but it's also a little more fun because they're, they, they're very upfront about the kind of books that they like, and they're very honest about the kind of books they do not like. Um, so that creates a really interesting um, dynamic uh, in the class. So sometimes I have them read something and they're like, we, we just find this so boring. And I'm like, well, bring me in something that you find really compelling and we'll study it. And I can find a way to, to teach them writing skills based on, you know, content or things that they're, they're more interested in. And that's kind of broadened my sense of what's out there in terms of the literary world. I have... I have my tastes. I have, you know, authors who are continual favorites. Everything that they put out, everything Lisa Moore publishes, I'm going to read, right? Anything Michael Crummy publishes, I'm going to read. Um, so I have those people who I follow um, kind of religiously. And But my, my students have their authors too. Mm -hmm. And we get talking about that in the table and they start to see, oh, this is how you build a story or this is what a scene can look like. Um, they, there comes a point and it's kind of different for each of them, but kind of where a door opens and they kind of get it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was, uh, we, we have um, uh, one of the 
exercises is called uh, how to strangle a cat and other advice on writing stories. Um, and you just, I say, imagine that you're a thief, you're in a closet and the people come home, but their cat has crawled into your bag in the closet and starts to cry. How do we keep the scene interesting? And what can you tell me about your thief? And every one of them creates a different thief. They all have different cats. They all have different closets and the that they can start building a story from there one student today she she's like it finally clicked for her because she has a cat she loves this cat and was trying to think so what if somebody was in my house and was like my cat? um and and all of a sudden you just saw like a light come on she's like oh this can be fun uh and i can explore what would i do if somebody wound up in my life in my house um and was kind of violating all of those mm -hmm. how would i respond and who would this person be and it was just really interesting to to see that unfold in real time and then try to say so how do now we're going to start putting it on the page one step at a time well they're very fortunate to have you there to you know to light the way and and i recall back in school how much i loved english but it was you know, in great part to the, the teachers who inspired me that made me want to write and read. And so they're very fortunate to have that. I think at one point, did you not also introduce a course in Newfoundland literature down there? Somewhere? I, I did. Um, I, I uh, was trying to think of like a theoretical frame for it. And so I'd, I'd come across this book by Richard Kearney called Strangers, Gods and Monsters. And so I called the course Strangers, Gods and Monsters. Um, contemporary Newfoundland literature, because I was in Iowa, none of the students had any idea what or where Newfoundland was. They didn't read the subtitle. They all showed up thinking that it was a course in fantasy literature about strangers, gods, and actual monsters. And they told me, because it was a night class, so I'd, I had uh, two and a half hours with them, and they said it was, um, you convinced us by the end of the class to stay in the course for the whole semester. Um, because they told me in the first few minutes, they're like, this is not the course we thought it was. And most of us are thinking about dropping it. And I'm like, give, give me two hours to try to pitch Newfoundland literature to you and then see what you think. And so it was just, it, it might've been like the best thing to not have an audience of people who are like, yes, no, I love this. I think this is great. This is amazing. And everyone's complete skeptic. And again, that kind of set the stage for being a teacher here and talking about Canadian literature, Newfoundland literature, or talking to writers who don't like writing. Um, so that was, yeah, I, I, I'm like, how do I get people to fall in love with something that I spent years falling in love with? And I've spent four years studying and I've spent four years living there. How can I get people to fall in love with this place and this literature in under two hours? Uh, and so it's it, <laughs> it, it it seemed to work. They all stayed, they and they stayed. all stayed for the whole course. Wow, uh, you're our ambassador for our authors, and who knows what will come out of this? That would make <laughs> a great short story. Well, let's talk a little bit about your book and. Uh, when the dead are raised and let people know a little bit about that a mystery thriller mm -hmm. I think, right in saying that that's something that you very much enjoy tell us a little bit about the book and uh, the process of writing it 
All right. Uh, well, the book uh, centers on a character named uh, Teffy Byrne, uh, who steals a dead sex worker's coded journal from a local art show in St. John's. Uh, she thinks it might shed light on an unsolved murder committed seven years prior. Uh, the victim is uh, named Teresa Squires, who happens to be uh, Teffy's boyfriend's Jer's ex. Always, uh, always but, a good situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Teffy has to uh, wind up putting Teresa's journal aside uh, because Troy Hopper, um, Jer's former drug boss, uh, gets out of Her Majesty's Penitentiary and tries to contact Jer, but through Teffy. And so an attempt to uh, protect Jer quickly gets out of hand and Teffy finds herself stranded on an island with a pound of Troy's heroin smuggled inside a dead woman's urn. And the dead woman's daughter wants to scatter her mother's ashes at sea. And so Teffy has to get the drugs back to get Jer back to safety, and yet she still has this journal that she's um, trying to keep track of uh, as well. And so the that becomes the 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 premise on which the the rest of the story turns. Yeah, and there's a lot in there. I I, I was reading it and I was like, okay, <laughs> these characters are very uh, like they are not privileged people. I mean, they're 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 living close to the edge and doing different things and pretty raw. So, you know, you, you create not superheroes. I mean, Taffy is no superhero by, by any means. She's really got to, you know, to fight to get where she gets and, and to survive through all this. So very interesting. And I wanted you to, to share a bit of the book with people so they could have a sense of your, your writing if you wanted to share an excerpt. And then we'll talk a little more after that about, about the book and what you're doing and, and so on. How about that? Would you like to read a bit? That sounds good. Okay. I can uh, uh, start with, with chapter one so as not to uh, lose people with too many details and try to jump um, right into the action. All right. One tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor, the dance floor. Mosh pit, really. The scuzz cuts thrashing their instruments on stage, ear bleedingly loud and record cut tight. Beer splashing everywhere. Not a bad place to hide. Teffy shoulders into the hair tossing crowd, boyfriend Jer in tow. It's Jer she's trying to hide, though he doesn't know it yet. And what would he do if he did? Order another round and start trashing himself defiant. Say, give me the number, Tefs, and I'll tell him where he can meet me. This is the Old West or something. She knows she can wear him down to halfway reasonable if she keeps him on the tequila and moshing all night. Hung over and wore out is the only way to approach this sort of conversation with him, really. Only way to tell him that Troy Hopper, his ex-boss and St. John's most notorious meth king, is out of Her Majesty's penitentiary on early release and creep texting her on her work phone. Jer must know Troy is out. That shouldn't come as a shock. No, it's Troy texting that'll tick him off. Jer bumps up against her and she pulls him in with her hand in his back pocket, wonders what exactly Hopper is trying to start now that he's out. The rank dealer just served six years for arson and possession with the intent to distribute. Far cry from the murder chart Jer pressed for, but so things go. She's seen enough of the courts to know that. Jer leans in to kiss her, she thinks but says he's going for more shots and she yells, go on then. 
and shoves him off, the double kick drum frothing the crowd wild as the scuzz cuts break into the next song. Jer disappears toward the bar. Teffy starts headbanging, whipping her red hair wet as she works herself up to the pace of her Wing Chun sessions. Martial arts have made Masha strange comforts rather than panic attacks in the making. It's a relief to know that she can separate a guy's shoulder if she needs to. Loosens the knot in her neck as she jumps against the floor's stick. Shirt slick as she throws herself at the singer's spit. Bring it on, come on, come on. Bring it on, come on, come on. Bring it on. And she does. Telling herself to channel it. Channel the fear. Fight to make something of it. Like she used to. When she'd wedge herself between the local gang of stump-faced homophobes and her best friend Finn. Him the chopping block for blunt jokes about his sexuality being the only openly gay kid in Placentia at the time. And what did he get for being himself? Hatchet job by zit-lipped morons, by his own dad. The bruises on his throat, why he started wearing those fancy neck scarves, a bit of personal flourish, he said. Keep people from asking the wrong questions. And to piss his dad off at the same time. Save some trouble, make some trouble, they'd say. Seeing those bruises, the way Finn winced when she touched his sides, made her want to make some trouble for his old man. You know what your dad deserves, she said. She falters now, drops the beat, lost a second in the recollection of Finn with blood on his hands and his father's stage. He locks eyes with her, wide eyes, screaming eyes, and she stumbles in the crowded bar, the knife still buried in his dad's chest, second-degree murder charge, steady thud, 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 three years in custody for the blood on the floor and the bruises. What about them? Deep bass, heartbeat, double-kick drum, her pulse jacked, and Finn's dad limp at their feet. Last kick of his leg, sirens screaming like a soloed guitar. Go on, Finn yells, go on, strobing cherries, dance floor lights. Go on, someone yells, but it's not Finn. She's knocked some guy in the dance floor and he's telling her to get lost. Go on, he yells, thinking her a drunken mess. Her hair pasted to her sweaty face. She elbows past him and presses deeper into the throng, away from the angry prick and the memory of Finn dragging after her like a gnat. They trucked him off to Her Majesty's in St. John's, and she followed him, studied journalism at the university so she could visit him every week, but she never managed to make a single visit. And why was that? Not one visit in his three years before being paroled, and now he's out in Corner Brook, eight hours away and on the other side of the island, on the other side of the world for all she's seen. Start over, he wrote in a parting email. Bouncing, she sees Jer through the pasty face crowd down by the bar and chatting it up six shots by splayed hands. He tosses one back, then another, tattooed arms, gesturing, ink sleeves she's come to love like she used to love getting drunk with Finn by the old military base in Argentia, spread eagled on a cracked runway leading nowhere. Heads together, sharing an iPod, listening to grunge hop like the band harshing the crowd now, Finn's face tequila hot and happy familiar bottle rolling empty between them. To curb her drinking scent, she's turned to martial arts as a kind of therapy, calculated power shots against everyone that would ever make a sacred heart like Finn feel small. Never again, she thinks, thrashing herself livid on the floor, slamming the door on that bloody night. Never again, she screams into the music, the whole time running, running in her mind, running like her whole world is on fire. Bring it on, come on, come on. Bring it on, come on, come on. Bring it on. 
An arm tightens around her, rough hands squeezing her chest. A hot body presses into her, belt buckle thrusts into her backside. She stomps down on the foot behind her, hears a sharp swear in her ear, and the arm around her chest loosens enough for her to elbow crack the jaw of the guy holding her. He staggers back a step, grabs her shirt's neckline and yanks. She hacks down on his arm as she pivots and punches his throat with her other hand. She's loose of him now, tight space between them. Chest punches him twice, seizes winded shock. Then his fist hammers down as she blocks the clumsy blow, grabs his shirt, yanks sharply, and kicks sideways through his bent kneecap. He drops, eyes empty shot glasses. She steps back. <laughs> Lots of action in there. Hmm, I've never been, <laughs> this is an aside, I've never been in a mosh pit. I'm not sure that I'd ever want to be after listening to that. <laughs> holy smokes anyway it goes on from there and takes in other areas of the island and uh, certainly who like when you were writing the book and there's so much detail in there and so on what was the process how long did it take you and what role did editing play in it right so i started writing the the book on fogo island um i was uh there's their uh first writer in residence in their um their arts program and was living uh, and writing in Deep Bay. And so um, kind of shuttling back and forth between Deep Bay and, and Tilting and Joe Bat's arm, um, I, I really wanted to write about a place like that, um, dealing with some of the issues that the island was was dealing with, but I, I wanted to um, to fictionalize it and, and move it out into uh, you know, kind of move it offshore into its own fictional world to create a kind of closed universe. But yeah, ask some questions um, about what it's like to be in a place that's changing uh, so rapidly. What, what's it like to um, be in a place where people have fished for so long um, that that's created the rhythm and the culture of the place? And then, you know, that this hotel is um, being built and there's an arts program. Uh, and so I just, I kind of want like, what would happen if something like that, uh, had like a dark underbelly to it? Um, and, and what would it look like to try to explore that? And I, I really wanted to try to find a story that would bring, um, urban St. John's together with the rural outport, um, in, um, a fast paced story that, that would, um, kind of stitch those two worlds uh, together. Because a lot of the people I was getting to know were coming from either one of those worlds, but were often, sometimes it was a townie who had, you know, found themselves out around the bay somewhere, or somebody from the bay who is now living in town. So I was really interested in that sense of displacement, even within the province, as well as kind of outside. I was coming in obviously as an outsider and, and feeling that in a particular way, but then realizing even people within the province and moving around because things change so quickly, that there could be that sense of displacement um, and, and a sense of, you know, trying to struggle, trying to make a mark, just trying sometimes just trying to hang on um, in, uh, in a place or in a circumstance where it can be really hard to, to hang on. And you know what you met, you mentioned being on Fogo Island as one of the first writer in residences, and you also 
uh, were shortlisted for the BMO winter set and nominated for an international Dublin impact. Did I say that right? Yep. <laughs> that one I'm not familiar with. So, I mean, you, you have found recognition in your writing as well, which has been pretty, pretty phenomenal. And, and you continue to inspire people. Um, Sam, I want to just let people know where they can reach out to you. Part of the purpose of this show is to introduce people, not answer all the questions, but to incite interest in your work and in you. So I have you at Twitter at, um, at Dark Art Cafe. Mm-hmm. They can find you there. And also you have a web page, which I'd like to share now, uh, SamuelMartinAuthor.com. Mm-hmm. And so reaching out to you, those would be two of the best ways for people to reach you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You can find me on Instagram as well. Uh, Samuel underscore Martin. Uh, I think, I think it might also, if you search Samuel Martin, you'll, you'll, you'll find me. I have my mug up there. <laughs> okay. We've got it. We've gotten a good look at you, but th- you know, I want to thank you so much. I know I've kind of pulled you out of the classroom very rapidly today and onto the show, but I certainly appreciate you taking the time to share what you're doing and also to share your work with us and uh, to let people know that they can get your book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Amazon, right. Amazon.ca or from the publisher directly. Okay. Which is slant books. Slant books. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for your time. I, it, it seems so quick and it always does. And uh, we certainly run out of it, but it's been a true pleasure to talk to you and get to know you better. And I wish you all the best. And well, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. And please do continue inspiring future writers. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Thank you so much, Catherine, for the invite. Oh, you're very welcome. And have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.